guys, for some I haven't seen in a little while, some uh, just hanging out with us for the first time this morning. It's, uh, you're just welcome here. We're glad that you're here. For those who are tuning in online, maybe it was something you heard or you're about to hear and you wanted to hear it again, or maybe someone told you to listen or whatever, we are glad that you're uh, taking the opportunity to listen online as well. And so um, this morning, I uh, wanted to just... I've had one of those weeks where the highs have been like really high. There were some really great, great moments. And, and the lows that I experienced this week were some really difficult lows. And uh, the highs first, uh, we got to take our, well, I didn't get to take our family. My, uh, my father-in-law took our family to Great Wolf Lodge. And uh, man, that was like uh, just an awesome, awesome time uh, with, uh, of just memory making. And got to, uh, we, we kind of try and watch each other's kids. And so I got well, blessed with the opportunity to watch the four youngest ones for a while. And as soon as all the adults left, of course, one has to go to the bathroom. And then you're like, Get, come out of the pool. We all got to go. I don't want to go out. It's like, oh, you know, instant stress. But like, all right, let's go get the kids in there. And then we get back and like, oh, these little brats, you know, we get, they're all in the hot tub. And then all of a sudden they start playing games and in the hot tub. I'm like, okay, cool. And I was like, look, I do a double take. There they are, baptizing each other in the hot tub. You know, I'm like, those <laughs> In front of all these people, those are the games, you know, church kids play. I, I, I love those little kids, you know. Uh, it, was, um, it, it was great, but even while I was there, you know, getting texts and, uh, from some of our church family members that are going through some really sucky stuff this week. And, uh, you know, it, it's true. Like when, when, you know, the Bible says that when one person hurts, the body hurts. And, you know, you know that to be true when, you, you know, when you hit your finger, it's like your whole hand hurts. And it's not like, you know, when somebody goes through something in the church family that, you know, everybody hurts the same. But those who are close, like it's like when the pinky's hurting, the rest of the hand's hurting, the pinky toe maybe doesn't really feel or care all that much, but they just know that there's something wrong. But the ones who are close, you really feel it, and, it, and that, that hurt is uh, difficult. And for those of you with relationships and with those who are going through some difficult stuff, you, you know, you, you feel the, the, the pain. Um, but what I found interesting, and I say interesting with quotation marks, is that as through my daily readings this week, just things that, that someone else planned for me. I'm following a, a plan of reading through the Bible, how the things I was reading on those days line up just perfectly with the situations I was going through and others were going through. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. Today, the disclaimer is this is not really like one of those great oratory sermons that's like, oh, those points fit so perfectly together. It's not one of those. It's more of one of those things of, here's some thoughts that I've been wrestling with this week, and here's some of the things that, that uh, the Lord's just been showing me, and I just kind of want to kind of put it out there. My hope this morning is that Holy Spirit translates that into your individual situation, because he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly what we need to hear before we even know we need to hear it. And so this morning, I, I want to talk about the difference of what feels like something and what's actually true, because certain things feel like something, but that's not really what it is, and other things you know, they're, they're true, but they don't necessarily feel true. Um, my kids uh, and I, we watched this, this show called Just for Laughs, um, the gags one, where French people do crazy things. You French people, I don't know. But they, there's these, if you haven't watched it before, they have some just hilarious stuff. But one of my kids' favorites is this thing where they take, they take these people in a mall, and they have this feel how tender these chickens are. And so they have like this chicken prank. Do you have the picture of that? Yeah, so they have these chickens and they give them gloves and they blindfold them and then they have them go down a row of chickens and they feel which chicken is the most tender and they have to tell. Well, while they blindfold them, they, they wheel a guy out whose butt's na naked and uh, he's all covered up except his butt. So they feel the chicken, the chicken, the chicken, the butt, and the chicken. They're like, they feel this like, 
it feels, it's, it's chicken, but it doesn't feel like it, right? Like, this feels different. And, and I'm like, you know, and, and maybe that'll be the thing that helps you remember this point because the rest of it is much more important. But there's things that we feel that feels like this is what it is, but, but, but it isn't. Christmas, Christmas was only 20 days ago. Do you realize that? 20 days ago. I know when I was counting the days, I was like, this can't be right. It's got to be, it's got to be way, way longer than that. 20 days ago. 20 days ago, we were here celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. And maybe at Christmas time, maybe it really felt like it then. Maybe for you, it was like, yeah, that's that. It, like when you were here and there was like a Christmas tree in here, like there was garland up and, and the music was perfect and the drummer boy was just like melting your heart and you're like, Yes, God is with us. I believe it. I, I can feel it. There's just something about that, that experience. Like, yeah, I feel like God is with us. And what I would call that is like goosebump Christianity, where we have this sense of, the, and I hear it lots of times, just in different ways, of where we feel like God is with us. Maybe it is a worship service. Maybe it's like that. Maybe you've been to them, those big conferences or something like, oh, God is here. You know, because I can, I can feel God's presence or the anointing or whatever you want to call it. I've, I can feel like God is with us. Maybe it's this morning where, you know, like you, they started singing the first song, and like, I don't like this one. And then the second one came on, it's like, oh, that's my favorite song. And all of a sudden you feel it here, and you feel it here, and your hair goes up like this, and, oh, God is with us. And then the third song comes, like, oh, he left, you know. It's just, God is not with us anymore. I, I, I've been there. But, you know, then there's, I find that that gets, like, to all different levels. You see these chairs? If you, uh, you weren't, maybe if you weren't here a long, long time ago, this is not how this building always looked. When we bought this place, it had hard wooden pews. And after a time of filling that place up and realizing we had to smash some walls out here, and we had to either add a few more pews or change over to chairs, I thought, we should really get chairs. And when we talked about getting chairs, and some of you may remember this, there was people who were like, no, 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 we can't, we can't have chairs. We can't have chairs. And, and all of a sudden, the excuses started coming out. Most of it's just because we just don't like change. But some of them were like, no, no, the chairs, they're, they're, they're going to be all over the place. And we're like, no, they're going to have connectors, you know, that hold them together. And then someone else was like, well, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones that clink together. They're just going to make a whole lot of noise. And we're like, no, these ones will be, like, nice and soft. They're not going to. And then others, and then, then finally this one person was like, you know what? If the pews aren't here, then the presence of the Lord just won't show up on Sunday mornings. I'm like, you're going to pull God into pews and chairs. Like, why? Well, what is that? It's, it, was, it was this person's feeling of when I walk into a place that has pews, I feel that God is with me. So then we just like, okay, you know what? We got chairs. She doesn't go here anymore. Sorry about that. But, um, uh, it's not a dig, really. But I'm just saying, all the, all the comfy butts this morning said amen. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. But, but what is that? That's just a simple, simply this thing of we have this sense of we feel God is with us at certain times. And, and then there, but the, the opposite is true. There's times where we feel like God is not with us. And that happens in times of trial. That happens through times of loss or difficulty or pain or things that you're going through. Like, all of a sudden the questions change. It's like when bad things start happening, like, God, are you with me? God, where are you? And I know that some struggle with that. And I know that that's been one of the things that, that, I, that I know people wrestle with. And that thing of, you know, it, it goes from God, are you with me? To God, do you love me? To God, do you even care? God, do you even exist? And, and I wonder where that comes from. And, and for a lot of people, the, the struggle that I fear is that when you start going through some of the difficult times, it's that temptation to just disconnect from the one that you need the most. 
So this morning, uh, I have a question for you. You ever hear anybody say that God's in control of everything? You don't have to raise hands, but maybe, maybe you've heard. Maybe you think, you know, God is in control of everything. And it's, it goes down this thought process. Well, if God is in control, then whatever's happening, well, he must be either doing it or he's got a plan for it. Or this, is what, this, is, this is how God operates. And, I, and I'm just, this morning, I don't really want to say, hey, this is the way to think or this is, the, this is, you know, think this way or think this way. I just know that there are people who think in both of these ways. And so this is my attempt at artwork. Um, some would say, they look at it like God is sovereign. It's like a lens, you know, these they should have been the other way around, so they look like glasses. But, you know, it's like a lens that you look through, like God's in control of everything. So whatever happens in life, in my life, God is somehow doing this uh, or connected to this. So whatever that may be, you know, you lost your job, well, God took it from you. You know, you lost a loved one, well, God took him, needed an angel in heaven or something, or whatever, you know, your dog ran away, God had the leash and just dragged that dog away. Whatever it is. You know, you, you prayed and it didn't get answered, but that must mean that God's in control of everything. And so then you get to these spots where you face really difficult things. You're like, okay, I got cancer. How did, okay, God must be like, I don't know. I don't know, God, but God's, God's in control. And then, you know, there's the other side where we read it. We have a different lens, you know, that, 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 that there's, God is in control of everything still. He's got authority over everything but he, because he's in control of everything, because he gets to make all the rules, he makes this box, this space called sowing and reaping, this place where we live, this opportunity for us to make some decisions, and that some of those decisions actually affect our lives, that in those decisions, we are actually in control of, of our life. We, we choose the, the decision. We just don't get to choose the consequence. And so certain things happen in here. But it's not that that's outside of what God can work in. It's not like, oh, if you make a decision that he didn't like, all of a sudden you end up out here and God's no longer part of the picture at all. And I'm curious as to which, which view you, you, um, you see the world, you read the, um, the word, or you read the Lord even through. And, and I want to look at a story this morning that I've read so many times, I've heard so many times, and yet I learned something new again this time. I find that just fascinating with his word. So I've been reading in Genesis and through Acts. My, my read through the Bible has got me in these two places at the same time. And reading the story of Joseph. And maybe if you're reading through the Bible, that's where you are as well, reading through the story of Joseph. And I just can't seem to get away from it. My daughter's been just, uh, she had just finished doing the precept study for kids of reading through the life of Joseph. And so she was telling me the whole thing, almost word for word. I was like, man, incredible. Then I'm reading through my daily readings, and then it's Joseph. And then I'm reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's Joseph. And I'm like, man, so as I slowly read through, all of a sudden I noticed something that I hadn't seen before. And here's where I want to start this morning. In, in, um, uh, in, in the book of Acts, there's a, there's a story of a man named Stephen. He's, he's on trial for, uh, for being a follower of Jesus, and he's able to give his defense, his defense message. And he's speaking to the people who put him on trial. And these people are familiar with the story of Joseph. And so he shares this. He says, Acts chapter 7, verse 9, he says, The patriarchs, or the, the fathers, he says, were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. And if you know the story of Joseph, or watch the Technicolor Dream Code, or anything like that, you know the story of Joseph. But it says this, But God was with him. He says, His brothers sold him into slavery, but God was with him. And the next verse says, And rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. And when you read that, Stephen kind of wraps up the life of Joseph 
in these two sentences that's just so neatly wrapped together. You know, Joseph's brothers sold him, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his troubles. And you're like, okay, that's cool. And if you read too quickly, you move on and miss a, a whole lot of the, 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 the background story. See, because the story of Joseph, the real story of Joseph, is much, much deeper than that. It's like the roller coaster life of Joseph. And for those of you who experience the highs and lows or the whoop-de-whirls or whatever, the puking on tracks, whatever that, that is for you in life, that's really what Joseph's life was like. It wasn't this neatly packaged life that was like, God was with me and everything was okay. Genesis 37 to 50, there's whatever that is, 13 chapters Tell the story of Joseph. We're not going to read them all this morning. We don't have time for that. But you can. You can go home and do that. It's a fascinating read. But Genesis 37 introduces us to Joseph, and it tells us that when we first hear about him, he's 17 years old. How many wish they were still 17? We had mixed reactions to that last night, too. Uh, He's 17, and he has 10 older siblings. Anybody have older siblings? Imagine 10 older siblings. Man, I, I love it because I'm the oldest. I would have had like 10 slaves, right? But he's, he's got 10 older siblings, and he finds himself in these difficult situations. His brothers sold him into slavery, and that was the good news because his brothers had actually planned to kill him. That was how much they disliked their younger brother. And we're like, well, how did Joseph end up in a situation like that? How do you end up in a spot where your own family wants to kill you? Uh, have you thought about that ever? Have you ever, want, like, have you ever thought of selling a sibling? So you have, right? And you're like, I, I know, I know. But that, and now I'd say, I'm like, my next question is which one? And if they're here, don't tell them. But, you know, you've thought of like, life would be better if they just weren't here. If I didn't always have them nagging me. Or if I didn't always have to be compared to them. Uh, you know, if I could just, just sell them. You know, we thought, how many of you ever thought of killing a sibling? No need to raise hands. But, the thought, right? We, we really don't go there. We, we, don't, we don't have that. And yet, when you think about this, this is what this, this kid's going through. His family wants to kill him. And, and, you know, we read about, you know, Stephen mentioning that God gave Joseph unusual wisdom. What we don't realize is God didn't give him the unusual wisdom when he was 17. He gave it to him later. The thing is, when Joseph was 17, here's what we learned about him. Genesis 37 verse 2. And I'm going somewhere with this. You'll see. It says, um, you know, in Genesis 37, verse 2, we find out that Joseph's a tattletale. He's just a little brat. He's the youngest kid. And it says he goes out with his brothers. And then he comes back. He tells dad all the bad stuff his brothers are doing. So now we find out why Joseph's brothers hate him so much. Who made the choice to be a tattletale? Joseph, right? He, he's, he's, he's allowed to, to make some decisions. And he chooses, he chooses these ones. Genesis 37, verse 3, the next verse, we find out that Joseph's dad, Jacob, Loves Joseph more than all the other kids. That's okay. But then he tells the other kids, and that's not okay. As a parent, you're not supposed to love any child more than the other, and you're definitely not supposed to tell the other kids, hey, this one's my favorite. So Jacob makes a choice, and his choice causes some conflict for Joseph. Then we realize Jacob makes it worse, and he gives him this special gift. He gives gives his most beloved son the Technicolor dream coat, and now Jacob's choice to do that Add some things into Joseph's life. Genesis 37, verse 4, the next verse. His brothers hate him as a result. That's their choice. They can be just like, man, whatever. But they choose to hate Joseph as a result. Then, you know, that's just three verses. So here we find Joseph, and we're like, if we look through the lenses, was, was it God who was all of a sudden causing Joseph's brothers to hate him? Or was it possible that the choices Joseph makes and Jacob makes and his brothers make that he ends up in this little box of where, ah, my brothers hate me and want to kill me? 
But he's not in any danger because he stays around his dad. But then all of a sudden he starts having dreams. And so the one that they already hate begins to tell them dreams of, you're going to bow down to me. You guys are going to worship me. Mom and dad are too. And his dad's like, hey, now, none of that kind of talk. And the brothers just hate him more. But he's always around dad. Can't do anything because he's around dad. Well, then if you continue reading the story, the brothers go off to do some farming and they're a little bit further away. And the dad sends Joseph to check on them. And then they see him coming. Here he is, finally, that one chance. The little bugger, the little, add in all your words, you know, in your mind. He, he's like, there he is. And they hate him. So they grab him, and they, they think, we're going to kill him. And they're like, well, then we got to explain that to dad, so let's just toss him in a well so we can think about it for a little while. And here Joseph ends up in a well, and they drag him out afterwards, and they sell him for money, and they convince their dad that he died, and they just found his, his uh, coat covered in blood. And yet start beginning to ask the question, was this God's plan? Was God in control of all of these things happening in Joseph's life? Well, it doesn't say that this was God's plan. It does say that God gave him the dreams. It does show him the dreams. But in the dream, Joseph doesn't see, brothers hate me. Brothers throw me in a pit, but I'm going to get out of it. Then I'm going to be like sold into slavery, but I'm going to get He doesn't see any of that. He only sees this one thing. So we know the plan of God was that Joseph's going to be in a place someday where his brothers are going to bow down to him. But is, that, is it God doing all of the things to get him there? Joseph later tells him, he later tells his brothers, he says, you guys planned this for evil. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says to his brothers, you planned evil for my life. You guys had a plan for my life that was for evil but God. But God planned it for good. God took what was going on and made it, made it good, and many lives were saved. And if you start, if you read through this possibility of choices, you can see that in spite of the things that, that the enemy planned, in spite of the things that, that his brothers had planned, in spite of the choices he made and his brothers made, God still was able to work through his life. And why do I say that? Because I think that, you know, we are on this spot where we're traveling through life. There's God's got plans for our life. And then there's these detours, these things where we find ourselves off of the plan. And it's in the detour moments where we're like, God, are you there? Ever been there? Sometimes the detours are because others did it. You know, people get in a car accident, and all of a sudden they put up the things on the road and say, everybody has to detour. Why? You got a detour because somebody else drove their car into the ditch. You know, it's not your, that wasn't your plan, so you end up on a, a detour that basically looks like this. Just go this way, and we'll show you. Then there's other detours in our lives where we're the ones who decide, we're just going to go off the plan. We're just going to make some decisions of our own, and our detours look more like this. You know, we just like, we'll find our way, and we just get so lost, and and then we're like, God, where are you? Well, in the next chapter, Genesis 38 takes a detour from the story, so we'll skip it. Genesis 39 says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by Ishmaelite traders, which is another fascinating thing, you know, that God uh, used Abraham's mistake, Joseph's grandfather's mistake from years ago, uh, to, who, who through that mistake created the Ishmaelites. They're part of the process of bringing Joseph to Egypt. He says he was purchased by Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then this is what I noticed as I had read through, as I'd read through Acts and then read through the story again, these words jumped out at me again. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I'm like, wait a second, I saw that before. And it was in my, it was in my mind as I kept reading, it said, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, Potiphar noticed this and realized what? That the Lord is with Joseph. Not only is the Lord with Joseph, people can see that the Lord is with Joseph and giving him success in everything he did. You know, 
others could see that God was with Joseph. But what we tend to forget is that Joseph is still a slave. He might be like the favored slave, but he's still a slave. We, we, we think, oh, God was with him, so it must have felt awesome. Slavery is not awesome. You know, and later on, we find out that he names his kids based on this experience. He names his kid Ephraim. And Ephraim's name means that, that God made me fruitful in the land of my grief. In the land of my grief, in the place where I felt awful, you know, God made me fruitful. He, he, he describes this land as his land of grief, separated from his family. He's in slavery. He was sold there. He doesn't quite understand it, but what's it say that God was with him? It wasn't like a trip to Disney World where he's like, God is with me. All is good. It's in those moments where all is not good that, that it's, it specifically says God was with Joseph. Then he wrongfully gets accused by his boss's wife. Don't have time for that story, but he gets tossed into prison. And can you imagine, you know, not doing anything wrong, getting tossed into prison after already going through everything you went through? Wouldn't the thoughts in his mind be, God, where are you? God, are you really with me? Well, Genesis 39, verse, verse 20, it says this. So he, Potiphar took Joseph, threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. In verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and dot, dot, dot. You read this, you're like, well, if we didn't know the whole story, and if we're thinking, this is my story, we're reading God was with Joseph in the prison, and so he just scooped Joseph out of the prison because he wasn't supposed to be there. He was wrongfully convicted, so he just scooped him out, and then he made Potiphar say sorry. Potiphar's wife was thrown in prison, and Joseph lived happily ever after. Done. Wouldn't we write it that way? I would. I would, but that's not, what it, it's not how it was written. He says, but the Lord, this is how it finishes, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. It wasn't like, oh, just get me out of this situation. He showed him his faithful love. The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love. When he's in see, we don't we don't remember is that he's a prisoner he's not it's not like realizing God is with me and it feels awesome God's with him when he's in prison he's still he's the favorite prisoner but he's still a prisoner and if you're counting you know how many times and now you're hoping you're awake the whole time how many times did it say you know the Lord is with Joseph nobody's guessing I'll tell you it's five almost you know five times why is saying this because we want him to know the Lord was with Joseph. You know what it tells you know what it tells us? It tells us a story. You know, it doesn't say, you know, that the Lord was with Joseph when he was a kid. We trust that he was. He doesn't say when he's in the palace later that that's when the Lord was with Joseph, but we trust he was. Where does it remind us? It reminds us in the moments where things are not good, when he's in a pit waiting to be sold or hoping not to die, or it tells us when he's a slave and, uh, and, a, and a prisoner and being wrongfully accused. Well, Joseph, we know he ex- ends up explaining some dreams to some guys, and they get set free. Uh, for the sake of time, just going to sp- jump past this. But he asks them to remember him. And what do they do? They forget him. People forget, and people forget about, about this guy, but God doesn't. And for some of you, you find yourself in that place. People have forgotten about you. They've forgotten about the things that you're going through. And you think, oh, it's like, God, where are you? Because it seems like nobody cares. It may not have felt like it was true, but God was with Joseph. It may not have felt true to him at the moment, but God was with him and God still loved him. Joseph waited two years in that prison before he was finally released from prison. And he became 
one of the most powerful men in all of, all of Egypt. But it was in spite of those detours, you know, from the, from the dream to the palace. There was a bunch of detours along the way. We find out that God is with Joseph and God loves Joseph and he's still working in Joseph. You know, for a lot of us, we would say we could probably, probably empathize with Joseph or, or just relate to the fact of he would say God was with him in the highlight moments. You know, he's sitting in that, in that pit. And he's like, oh, you know, God, get me out of here alive. And then his brothers take him up and are like, you're going to live. He'd be like, oh, God is with me. And then they sell him into slavery. You know, or when he's in Potiphar's house and he becomes the, the, the head of Potiphar's thing, he'd be like, hey, you know what? It's rough, but I know God is with me because look at, look at what he's done in my life. I'm at this place now. And then as he gets, you know, tossed into prison and then rescued from prison, it's like, God is with me. But those are just a few moments in a few, a few moments in a timeline of 13 years. 13 years. Think, like, how old were you 13 years ago? I was 27. 20, 12? Oh, 20, yeah, it's a big difference between then and now. You think about that, all of that time sitting in a prison and then having just a few moments where it feels like God is with you and the rest of the moments are just heartbreaking. Genesis 39, verse 21 it reminds us, it says, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And for those who are going through rotten stuff, you may be thinking this morning, well, that's great for Joseph. What about me? That's great that there's a story in the Bible about that, but what about me? See, sometimes the problem is that we're tempted to disconnect from God in those moments. In those moments of difficulty, in the moments of detour, whether we chose the detour or someone else chose the detour for us, and we get disconnected. And then we'll have people say, hey, you know, it's about, it's about faith. And, you know, you, you got to have, have more faith. And sometimes we think that, that faith means that God's going to do whatever we pray for. So if we pray for it, God's going to do it. And maybe you hear that. Well, it's not faith. That's not what faith's all about. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But not getting an answer to your prayer isn't a lack of faith either. For some, you know... <laughs> Hear the kids whose parents are going through divorce and praying, God, make mom and dad stay together. See, there's a few things God can't do. God can't lie. God can't sin. But there's a thing that God doesn't do either, and it's in this box. He doesn't overrule the decisions that are made in this box. When people are given free choice to make choices that have consequences, he doesn't jump in and say, oh, no, I'm just going to stop those consequences, those decisions. When that drunk driver drives and kills that person who was just out for a walk. Why didn't God stop in and say, don't drink? Why didn't God jump in in that moment? And so because we begin to think of God's in control of everything, well, then he either is not powerful or he's not good. And that's not a new thought. That's been around for thousands of years. The Epicureans, 300 years before Jesus, had those thoughts. Like, well, God, either you're not good, either you don't care, or you're not powerful enough, or you're just whatever. And the disconnect happens. In the times when we need them most, the temptation is to disconnect. Faith is not based, faith is not based on a desire that we have. It's based on a promise that he made. Let me say that the other way around. Faith is based on a promise that God made, not on a desire that we have. And for some, for some you thought faith is, as long as I feel like I have faith and I trust God for what I want, then he's got to come through with it. And what you're actually doing is asking God to keep a promise that he never made. You're asking God to do something that sometimes he cannot do. You're asking God to step into a situation of detour here and do something to unwind the decisions that were made and say, just make the consequences go away. He can't. 
He doesn't step into those things. And so with Joseph, we realize certain detours, certain things happen in his life. He ended up in these rotten places. But what was the promise? That God is with him and that God's faithful love was shown to him. And some are, some are praying and asking, you know, for different things. But here's, here's a thought. Joseph, wouldn't we have been in that place where he's in the pit saying, God, get me out of this pit. I have faith. I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Yahweh. Get me out of here. Or God, you know, I, I got faith. Get me, get me out of Potiphar's house. Or God, I got faith. Get me out of prison. But you know what? Those are asking God to keep promises that God didn't necessarily make. And here's the thought. 2,000 years later, here's where we intersect with the story. Matthew writes an account of the life of Jesus. And he speaks about another Joseph, and he writes this account at the beginning of his book, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, she'll have a son, you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What an amazing, amazing sentence that is, that Jesus came to save us from our sins, the filth of our sins, the things that, the, the, the rottenness of our lives, the, the choices that we've made that are outside of where we should be. He came to save us from those sins, from the eternal penalty of those sins. That's where God is still over all of it, that this, this planet that we're limited to and the choices and consequences that happen here in eternity with him, those are, those are done. But it says this, all of this occurred in verse 22 to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. See, that's what happened when God came to the planet. That now is the opportunity that God came to God with us. God is with us. God is with us. But that doesn't mean that God is with every single person on this planet or every single person even in this room, that he's with us. God came to be with us to give us the opportunity to be with him. At the end of Matthew's book, he writes this, Matthew 28, the last verses, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. Be sure of what? Life's going to go great for you? Be sure of this, that, you know what, now that you're a follower of me, there is no more detours. You're just, it's just going to be clean sailing. I'm with you. When? Always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, here's the promise he made to those original disciples, and it's the promise he made to the followers of Jesus from then on. And as you read through Acts, you see that this is exactly what it was. No matter what they went through, God was with them. Stephen, the guy we started with, he shared that message, and at the end of it, they were so angry about that message, they stoned him to death. But God was with him. Peter, Peter, the, the main guy, was tossed into prison multiple times, and we see him in the story sitting in prison with his feet in the stocks. Can't go anywhere, and what's he doing? He's been whipped. He's chained to a spot. It's incredibly uncomfortable, and he's not feeling like God's with him, but what is he doing? He starts singing. Great, great are you, Lord. Why? Aware of the fact that God is with him. Paul, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked three times. <laughs> Here's a guy who had all kinds of rotten stuff happening in his life. That same Paul wrote this letter to the Jesus followers in Rome. I want to close with these last few thoughts. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, 35, 37 to 38. You can read the rest, but for... For uh, this morning, this is just the ones I want to share. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, if God is for us, if God is with us, who can ever be against us? 
no matter what we're in, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he starts giving a list in verse 35. Can anything, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Remember with Joseph, God loved him and showed his faithful love. Uh, God was with him and showed his faithful love. Those two things, those two things. Paul says, can anything ever separate us, followers of Jesus, from Christ's love? Does it mean he doesn't love us if we've got trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, and he says, I'm convinced. See, here's the thing. So many are not convinced of the fact that God is with you or that God loves you. You're basing so much of it on what it feels like in the situation you are in. And what you need to know is that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And that won't change because he's promised that will never change. And he is with you if you're a follower of Jesus because that will never change. I will be with you always. When it's the rottenness that either is of your choice or others' choices on your life. Your parents, you know, they divorced, but I'm with you. And I love you. You're going through some sickness, whatever. I am with you. I love, you've lost a loved one. I am with you. And I love you. Nothing has changed. He says, can anything ever separate us from God's love? I'm convinced that neither death nor life, big stuff, not angels, not demons, not my fear for today, not my worry about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell. Like nothing can separate us from God's love. And he says, I'm convinced of that. And I believe this morning he wants you to be convinced of that. As a Jesus follower this morning, maybe, and maybe you're not a Jesus follower, and you, this is the reason why. You got this question, how, if God, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, bad things happening to good people doesn't change the truth about who God is. And my question is, who told you God was like that? Who told you that God was uh, a God who would never let bad things happen to good people? The Bible doesn't tell you that. Jesus wouldn't have told you that. You know how I know? Because he is a really, really good person, and something really, really bad happened to him. Really, really bad thing happened to a really, really good person. Why? Because it's not what it's about. But that God is with you, and that God loves you. So my question this morning is this. When we say, Emmanuel, God with us, is it with a question mark, or is it with an exclamation point for you? Maybe you can show that and just leave that up there for the rest of this morning. Which one is you? Maybe you're in one and you need to get to the other. Maybe you're in that thought. Maybe you're here this morning. And most of this morning, I've been talking to Jesus followers. You're a follower of Jesus. You've put your trust in him. God is with you. God is with you. You don't need to ask that question anymore. Just know I'm going through life. God is with me. And God loves me no matter what I'm going through. That does not change those two truths, no matter what it feels like. I'm convinced that those things are true. If you're here this morning, you're not a Jesus follower. I just have one thought for you. One question for you. One thought is this, that God came to this planet, that God came to be with us so that we could have the opportunity to be with him. There's so many who are doing life without God. You know, it's like you're just, you're going through life, making the decisions, just making the choices, whatever, whatever ones feel good for you. And after, like they felt good in the moment, they were just rotten afterwards. You know, this morning, God, has also given you a choice, a choice in this spot to say, you know what? I sent my son so that there was an opportunity for you to be with me. Now it's up to you. Do you want to choose to say, yeah, God, pick me. I want to be with you. It's almost like being on that, on that schoolyard where it's like all the kids are there and they're like, hey, who wants to be on my team? You're like, pick me, pick me. Jesus is saying that same thing to you this morning, that he died to take away your sins, that he died so that you could have life with him. And he's calling out to you this morning saying, I'm here. I'm here. 
I want relationship with you and requiring one thing, whatever it is. So for this morning, for some of you, maybe that's just your simple response to God. God, pick me. I don't want to do life on my own anymore. I want to do life with you. And for those of you as Jesus followers, what a great reminder that I want to do life with you, Jesus. I'm going to go to work tomorrow knowing I'm going with you. What does work like when we go there with God? When that reality is there, whatever happens there, he's with me. God, I want to parent with you. God, I want to go to school with you. What does school look like with all the bullies and the cliques and everything else when you're like, I'm there with God? God, I'm going to go to that doctor's appointment tomorrow with you. God, I'm going to go to that uncomfortable conversation with you. Man, when we think about the fact that God is with us, it may change a whole lot of things in our lives, the things we do, the things we don't do, because we realize and are convinced that God is with us. And that God is with us is regardless of the outcome. See, sometimes we think it's God is with us when the outcome goes our way. God is with you no matter what. No matter what. And God loves you no matter what. There's two truths you can take and you can put your faith in that you can trust that this is what God said. I can convinced he's, this is what he's going to do. God is with you. And God loves you, Jesus followers, this morning. And for those who are not, he loves you. And he wants to be with you. And that opportunity is on the table for you to respond to this morning. It just takes simply from you, from your heart, saying, Jesus, I turn from the way I've lived. I want to follow you. Do whatever needs to be done in me to see that happen. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I try to share from my heart what is all going on in there. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you translate that into each and every person's individual uh, circumstance and situation in life this morning. I trust your voice over over every other. Father, any words that spoken this morning that, that shouldn't have been, I pray that those just fall to the ground. They, they don't bear any other fruit. Father, I thank you that the truth of you being with us is the truth that we leave with today, that we don't leave you here in this building, but that wherever we go, you are with us. What amazing comfort. What amazing strength. And finally, Father, thank you for your love, that we can count on that, your love for us incredible. Lord, I pray for those going through difficult times this morning, that these two things would strengthen and encourage them as they walk through the, the, the path or maybe the detour that they're on right now, knowing, allowing these things to carry them through. God, that in the end, in the end, you'd be glorified and that others along the way would see you and come to know you. Thank you for, thank you for sending your spirit to live in us and with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us. You are amazing. It's in your name I pray. Amen.